From OTMP, this is your COVID-19 update. It is Friday, the 20th of August, 2021. Within a few days, Hong Kong has removed objective benefits for vaccinated travellers and doubled down on a zero-COVID strategy. The sudden change in quarantine regulations left many of our patients stranded and scrambling for limited quarantine accommodation. In this episode, Dr. David Owens caught up with Professor Ben Cowling by phone to discuss the recent changes. They both see living with COVID as the only long-term effective strategy. They discuss the evidence for the reduced incubation period and increased infectivity of the Delta variant and the importance of positive messaging to increase vaccination uptake in high-risk groups. They also agree that we have much to learn from Singapore, where a clear strategy and well-communicated plan has led to high vaccine uptake and where a graduated easing is about to commence. This interview was conducted via phone during a short break in their busy schedules and therefore at times the recording is not of studio quality. Hey Ben, good to good to talk. How's things? Yeah, hi David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, it's been a, an interesting week, I guess, in terms of uh, the changes in uh, quarantine. Where, where do you think we're at at the moment from your perspective? I, I was a little bit disappointed with the change in policy uh, going back to, to longer quarantines, which may slightly reduce the risk of importing a, an infection into the community in the very short term. But in the longer term, I don't think it's going to make a lot of difference. There's Whether or not we have very stringent hotel quarantines, there's still other opportunities for the virus to get into the community. And so it's very difficult to stay at zero cases in a zero COVID strategy. I think we've really got to look seriously at the approach taken elsewhere, for example, Singapore, of looking to gradually relax COVID measures as the vaccination coverage gets higher and higher. Yes, I think we've discussed this before and we, we both agree that you know, living with COVID ultimately will, will have to be the strategy and it's a question of how we get there, what level of vaccine uptake is acceptable, but also I think who the vaccines are given to. I mean, one of the challenges we have is that we don't really have high vaccine uptake in the most vulnerable. How do, how do we encourage that, do you think? Because we seem to be getting mixed messages around the benefits of vaccination at the moment. That's right. And I think it's a, it's, it's a big gap. And if we were to relax the COVID measures right now, I think it would really be uh, a big issue with, with low vaccination coverage in older adults locally. I think it's still below 10% in people above the age of 80. And so that's, that's not high, nearly high enough. But if we were to have a, a timeline for relaxing the measures like we've heard about in Singapore, where they've said in September, above 70% fully vaccinated population, they're going to relax this and that. And then as, as the coverage goes above 80%, they're going to further relax other things, including quarantine-free arrivals. And so in Hong Kong, I think if we had a, a strategy and a timeline to say, once we go past 70%, we're going to relax this and that, and, and above 80%, we're going to relax something else, then I, I think there'd be a stronger push to get the vaccination coverage to that level. Certainly the private sector seem to be very enthusiastic about getting a high vaccine coverage and so they they may be able to come up with with additional incentives for older people i don't know and the government will have ways to encourage older people to get vaccinated as well but it just seems that right now if we're with also thinking about the the alternative of staying a, in a zero covid strategy for months or even a year 
then actually it's not a priority to get the vaccine coverage up in older adults. The priority is to prevent introductions. And if the virus does come in, then to, to stamp down on outbreaks as quickly as possible, like they're doing in New Zealand. And so you can do that with or without high vaccination coverage. But I really hope that we'll start looking towards the strategies used in Singapore and elsewhere. I think Delta is so contagious that we're never really going to be able to keep this infection out, are we? We've seen these two recent cases. One was an airport worker who was unvaccinated and the other, which was initially thought to be a late transfer after quarantine, in fact, turned out to be an infection acquired in quarantine. And we discussed this before. I, I sort of made this suggestion that possibly 21-day quarantine was increasing the risk to Hong Kong because of the risk of transmission within hotels. And I think that's now definitely a possibility. We've got several of these, haven't we? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, certainly. I, I'd said on social media, on Twitter over the weekend, that actually based on the data for the, the Delta variant that we've looked at in Guangzhou, a 10-day quarantine would actually be sufficient to capture almost all infections, maybe up to 98% uh, of all the infections. And then uh, if you go to 14 days, it's more like 99%. And 21 days is a little bit above that, but not a lot above. And what you've got to remember is that even when you try and reduce risk in that way by lengthening quarantines, there's still other sources of risk of the virus getting into the community, whether it's a transmission in a quarantine hotel to someone who's coming to the end of their quarantine, however long that is, but when they're coming to the end, if they get infected at that point, then the, the virus is going to get into the community. And there's infections in the staff in the airport, the ports, the container terminal, the quarantine hotel staff, and uh, maybe the, the VIP exemptions like the diplomat's daughter, and in the in the coming months, the the CEOs of big companies. So I think the virus will have opportunities to get into the community. I've seen a study recently from New Zealand documenting all the different ways that the virus got in. And it came in quite a number of times. Sometimes when it gets in, it doesn't spread. And we've had a bit of luck there as well. And then other times when it gets in, you have a really large cluster. And with Delta, it's going to be very difficult to stop transmission and to, to slow it down. We've seen near us in Malaysia, They've had a lockdown for quite some time now and case numbers are still going up despite a very stringent lockdown. Other parts of the world have also had a lot of trouble with the Delta variant. So we, we shouldn't kid ourselves. We, we've got a high vaccination coverage now. I think 50% of people have had at least one dose, but it's, it should really be higher if we want to be protected against the serious consequences of a larger outbreak. And one of the possibilities is that the Delta comes in and it's almost too difficult to stop. And we'd have to resort to the mainland approach of a total stay at home order, a lockdown for, for a week or two and testing everybody until we, we confirm back to zero. But that would cause a lot of trouble, cost a lot of money. And if we were having a strategy of going the other way to say we're, we're going to learn to live with the virus, then if we can just hold out with zero COVID a little bit longer, if or when our fifth wave finally comes, maybe that would be the time to say, you know, we, we've done enough and we're not going to to stop it with a lockdown. We'll maybe slow it down. But uh, after that, then then the restrictions are going to be relaxed when the fifth wave is over. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about carrots and sticks before, haven't we? And I think we both agreed at that point that there hadn't really been enough carrots. And you know, going back to another thing we've discussed, there's two, two ways these vaccines work, aren't they? they the vaccines work on an individual basis. And we know that notwithstanding that the slight reduction with Delta and other variants, the vaccines are still very effective at stopping people dying and preventing serious illness. 
And then there's the herd immunity, the population benefit. And I've written a bit about this recently. I think we've we've maybe lost sight of the importance of vaccinations on an individual basis. And the push for this mythical 70%, you know, we, we know that's not going to be enough for herd immunity. In fact, you know, I think herd immunity is frankly impossible with vaccination alone. I think we have to shift the strategy to give positive benefits to individuals, to, to tell people, the elderly, the vulnerable, if they're vaccinated, they will not die or they're much less likely to die rather. The problem I see at the moment is that the messaging is all negative. It's really not framing anything in terms of, of benefits. And, and that's why we've got so few vulnerable, or at least one of the reasons we've got so few vulnerable members of our community vaccinated. That's that's really my concern. We don't have the, as you say, the strategy. And Singapore, to me, seems the only solution. Living with COVID is really the only long-term solution yeah. I can see. I don't think zero COVID is sustainable. And the strategy also makes perfect sense from the beginning, that in the beginning, you want to keep the virus out because if, if it spreads, it's going to cause a lot of hospitalizations, a lot of severe cases, and maybe fill up the hospitals very quickly and then cause even more problems. So that the Singaporean strategy, like Hong Kong, is to keep the virus out and buy time until vaccines are available. But once those vaccines are available, it makes perfect sense that you then shift over to, you don't need the public health strategies anymore, uh, and you rely on vaccines. And if the vaccines can't completely eliminate the virus locally, if they're still spread, at least it's a milder form of the disease. So most people who get, get COVID after vaccination have a very mild infection, sometimes asymptomatic, and there's far fewer severe cases. I think the fatality rate is reduced tenfold. So far, far fewer deaths, far, far fewer hospitalizations in a population that has a high vaccine coverage. And it, it may be the, the best that we can get is to get a high vaccine coverage. We could wonder if there are going to be better vaccines in the future or better treatments and, and wonder whether we should hang on for another year or two and until then keep the virus out. But there's nothing like that on the horizon. So in my opinion, it's as good as it's going to get for us in Hong Kong once we get to 70% plus coverage. The Singaporean said said 80% plus would be, would be safer. I agree. I, I'd like to go above 80% and as high as possible. And I think that as well, once, once, uh, COVID gets in, it's going to be difficult to slow it down. So when there's a real risk, people who haven't got vaccinated may may decide to change their mind and go and get vaccinated because then the risk is more immediate. Yeah, I think Singapore has about it. They're at about 80% now, aren't they? But I think a key difference is they're also at 80% of the most vulnerable. I think they've covered 80% of the of the elderly. Something like that. And then uh, it's, it's a very high level of vaccine uptake. And they're on course to, to follow their reopening strategy. They talked just recently about quarantine-free arrivals starting in either September or October. But there's a clear timeline for, for when their COVID measures are going to be relaxed step by step. And what are your thoughts about uh, booster doses, Ben? This is something which is controversial in public health circles, isn't it? I know Israel have talked about this. The US are now evoking uh, the concept of booster doses. Uh, UK has talked about it. It, it. I must say to me, in terms of vaccine inequity, I don't think we have the evidence yet to start booster doses, but it does seem it's going to happen in the developed countries. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's certainly happening. I, I, I've seen a little bit of data from Israel and I think some of the data that's come out of Israel, uh, which has been a little bit scary, is, is maybe somewhat flawed 
as, as far as I can see from assessing the data in Israel, there's still a very high level of protection against severe disease, even in people who were vaccinated the earliest. So there may be a, some slight degree of, of waning, but it's not drastic in terms of the protection against severe disease. There is a loss of protection against mild infection, but that's more to do with the Delta variant than to do with the loss of immunity after immunization. So there's maybe a slow rate of waning, but the Delta is able to get, get around vaccination immunity and, and cause mild infections. So actually, I'm, I'm not convinced of the argument for booster doses right now. And given the, the supply shortages in many parts of the world, I'm a little bit disappointed that in the US, they're going to use tens of millions, hundreds of millions potentially of, of vaccine doses for third doses for people, increasing their protection, I would say, marginally, just a little bit of, a, of an improvement in protection. Whereas if those same vaccines were given to tens of millions or even hundreds of millions of people who haven't yet had their first dose, that's taking someone from, from no protection at all to a high level of protection especially against severe disease. So I, I think it's actually premature to do a, a, a campaign of, of boosters for the general public. But for some high-risk groups, it may be warranted to, to look at that sooner, particularly older adults where, where their immune response to the initial doses is a, is a little bit weaker. So in Hong Kong, I, I don't anticipate we're going to start third doses yet, but maybe later this year just for some priority groups. Um, and then in the longer term, I, I, I would imagine that COVID vaccines become somewhat like flu vaccines where they'll be available and you can go and get it once a year from a from a GP if you want to top up in your immunity. And it will be recommended to certain groups, but maybe not. We, we wouldn't see everybody getting the vaccination every year. Yeah, I think the US is quite interesting, isn't it? If you look at the comparison between the exit wave in the UK, Europe and the exit wave in the US, there's lessons to be learned there. Again, going back to this issue of vaccinating the most vulnerable, isn't there? And you mentioned there that you know, giving booster doses. I looked at a statistical analysis just yesterday, actually, and the US would be significantly better giving those doses to the as yet unvaccinated within their own population than boosting the least vulnerable who tend to be the vaccinated in the US in general, if that makes sense, doesn't it? So we've seen in, in Europe in general, there's been a policy of vaccinating from the most vulnerable down, rather like they have done in Singapore. Yeah. Also, the vaccine coverage in, in Europe is, is a little bit higher. So I, I was looking, I was talking to someone from Denmark the other day, and their coverage is above 75%. Um, and of course, high, very high coverage in, in the most vulnerable. And now with the exit wave, it's actually very few hospitalizations and almost over. And the UK, I think they still may be in the middle of their exit wave, but they've gone above 70% fully vaccinated. And in the US, I think it's only 55%, below 60%. And it's, it's not really high enough. It's, it's not a surprise to me that there's, there's issues in the US with COVID spreading and increasing and even threatening to, to have an overwhelming number of hospitalizations in some parts. Uh, because the vaccine coverage is, isn't as high as it really should be when you want to relax measures. So actually, if, if we think about the US relaxing everything on July the 4th, when they're at 55% coverage in Hong Kong, we're, we're not far from, from that level. And we're still really thinking it's, it's not high enough. And, and we'd better hang on with zero COVID for a little bit longer. Yeah, we're, we're also maybe similar to the US. I saw somebody responded to one of your comments recently, where I think you said that Hong Kong had 
had gone over 50% and, and they came back and made a quote, something like, yeah, but is it the wrong 50%? And I had some sort of sympathy with that argument. That, and that, I think there's a little bit of that in the US, isn't that because of the political situation and, uh, and other factors within the health system, there are uncovered vulnerable members of the community to a much greater degree than there are in Europe. And, and in some ways, there's lessons for us from that because yeah, we've done 50%. Uh, we 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 would have a terrible problem if the if if Delta got into Hong Kong, I think, wouldn't wouldn't we? Because of the the, the most vulnerable members of our community just not protected. Yep, that's right. And and also we have to recognise that that it, if or when Delta does get in, and we want to suddenly boost the vaccination rates in in the older adults, it's going to take time. Uh, we we can't suddenly get the coverage up to a high level because you've got to give the first dose and then you've got to wait three or four weeks and give the second dose and and then another two weeks until the person's has the, the the peak of their immunity and so that it's risky to wait until until delta really comes to to pick up the vaccination rate i think that should really be a top priority now so looking forwards how do you see the quarantine issue ben we've we've obviously just had a, a change we've moved away from antibodies as as, as a measure of immunity uh, we're not yet prepared to trust vaccines as a measure of immunity what do you see the future in in Hong Kong, in our international city? Yeah, right. Right now, it's a little bit convoluted. I think for the highest risk countries, uh, people coming to Hong Kong from the highest risk countries is twenty one days. Uh, for people coming from medium risk countries, it's uh, twenty one days unless you're vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and then it's fourteen days. And then if you are coming from a low risk country, and I think right now New Zealand might be the only one of those then it's 14 days if you're unvaccinated and seven days if you are fully vaccinated. And based on our, our own data, we know that 10 days is already long enough for a pretty reasonable quarantine period. Going above 10 days doesn't get you much benefit. But as you mentioned, that the longer you keep people in quarantine, the higher the risk is to them to be exposed to the virus from another guest in the same hotel. And then in terms of the community risk, it, it's not helping a lot. So I would actually like to see a a shortening of the quarantine periods in Hong Kong. 10 days is already good enough. And I, I think we could imagine we're going from 21 or 14 to, to 14 or 10. And uh, that would be very, very safe. I, I thought it was a really valuable incentive to encourage people to get vaccinated to have shorter quarantines. 14 days is still long, in my opinion, unless someone's planning to go to New Zealand and then they could come back with a, with a seven-day quarantine uh, as a fully vaccinated person. And I, I'm not sure how long these measures are going to be in place for. I, I said on the radio this morning that I think there's been a, we, we've been discussing as well on this podcast, that the two possibilities for Hong Kong. One is that we really keep things tight, aim for longer periods of time at zero, and then open a, a bubble with the mainland to have quarantine-free travel to and from the mainland. But that would be a fragile bubble. As we've seen, just, just a handful of cases could burst the bubble on either side. And then we're, we're back to square one and having to start again, waiting for 30 days or 60 days free of COVID. So I, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be feasible for the next six months or the next year. Maybe we could have a, a bubble from time to time, but, but not sustainable. And then the other strategy is maybe following the Singapore model of aiming to relax the measures once we go above a high level of vaccine coverage, maybe above 70%, we start relaxing something above 80%, relax more. And then it, if the coverage is even 85%, relax, relax even more and see how things go. What I said on the radio this morning that I'm a little bit worried about, or what I said on the radio recently, I should say, uh, that I'm a bit worried about is that we're, 
we won't have either of those that will be stuck not quite able to open the boundary with the mainland because we're not meeting the criteria that have been set. Maybe because we have a local case or a local outbreak that, that bursts the, the, the chance for that. And then on the other hand, maybe not able to, to return to normal and, and lift all the COVID measures and the, the on-arrival quarantines because of the, the, the enthusiasm for having a bubble with the mainland. And so we'll, we'll be in no man's land, stuck between the two strategies, but in the worst of both worlds. I, I hope that doesn't happen, but I think... It, it is a concern. Well, the political will seems to be focused on the mainland opening, and I guess there's economic and political reasons for that. But as you say, it's it's a very fragile bubble. And I mean, China also has a different uh, strategy, don't they? They have killed vaccines. And I'm, I'm sure China will boost with next generation vaccines or mRNA vaccines when they have one available. But in many ways, you know, we're in a different situation because we have different vaccines. We have a different economic imperative as, as, a, as an international city. And I, I totally agree that the Singapore model, to me, is the only one that makes any sense in, in the long term, you know, taking the politics away, just looking at the, at the health implications for the population. But your study recently, and unless I'm mistaken, the, 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 that was very interesting data from from the Delta series in Guangzhou. Even the fact that it was, you know, some of the best studies on Delta have come from Guangzhou, unless I'm mistaken, that, that pretty, with your collaboration with Guangzhou. That did it not show a lower, a shorter uh, incubation? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of things that are different for the Delta variant that, that we've seen in that study, and also other people have noted. So it comes more quickly. If you get infected, your your incubation period may be shorter. The time until you become contagious may be shorter. The time until you pass infection on to another person may be shorter. Their level of virus is higher. You're more contagious. And so uh, an infected person would infect more other people. And so it spreads faster and more intensely. And that really makes it very, very difficult to stop. I think there may be more pre-symptomatic transmission than with previous strains. And, and as we know, that the, the transmission coefficient, the reproductive number is, is higher as well, probably double what it was before. And so for Hong Kong specifically, when, when we remember back to the fourth wave, I think we, we got it under control, but it was difficult. It dragged on for quite some time. And if the Delta variant was to start spreading in Hong Kong now, I think it would be difficult with those same measures to, to keep it under control because it's more contagious. So really, I, I hope that we won't have a fifth wave until our vaccine coverage is even higher. And then with a fifth wave, it may show us that actually we don't need to worry about COVID anymore. We can handle the local spread of infection without too drastic interventions. And it's, it's not going to pose as, as much of a threat as it would have before vaccinations were available. Yeah, those studies are fascinating, aren't they? Because they really do back up the epidemiology, don't they? This thing just burns so aggressively. And do you think there's an argument for saying that Delta is going to be the thing that's going to provide the boosters and the immunization to the rest of the world. I know there's an argument about whether you achieve herd immunity by vaccination versus by infection. And I, I, I think with Delta, it's not going to be possible to get it just with vaccination. Yeah, that, that's right. I don't think we can get to herd immunity just through vaccination. But the experience in, in Europe is that if you can get the vaccine coverage to a high level, and then once you start relaxing the measures, if the virus is spreading, you'll have what's called an exit wave, which maybe fills in the gaps of people whose immunity is a little bit lower and, and does cause infection, particularly in people who haven't been vaccinated. But the impact on, on the health in the community as a whole is much less than it would have been if there had been unmitigated spread before vaccines were available. So vaccines really take the bite out of the epidemic. 
And if we look in, in, in European countries right now, I don't think COVID's posing much of a threat to the healthcare system. There still are infections, there's still severe infections, and I think there's still small numbers of deaths. But uh, we have that every year with flu. And so I don't think lockdowns and quarantines and all the other restrictions would be considered for, for flu seasons, where in Hong Kong, we have a thousand deaths on average every year from flu. We've never considered locking down to, to stop flu from spreading. We, we may do some temporary measures to, to slow it down. But I, I think that we should be looking to manage COVID more like we manage flu in the future. Okay, well, thanks um, very much, as always, Ben. We're going to focus on the positive again. It's obviously been a little bit disappointing for many people, the changing quarantine. And we both think that we should be moving towards more positive messaging. I think that's fair to say. Hopefully, we're moving towards a gradual exit normality and and that's happening in the rest of the world or at least in in the world that has access to vaccines of course we haven't really touched upon the uh, travesty of the inequity to vaccines in the developing world but that's uh, maybe something to discuss more on the next time Mm. have a great uh, summer and uh, thanks again for all of your input all the best as always the links to the papers in this podcast including further articles expanding upon the issues discussed are available on our website in both English and Chinese at www.otmp.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And as always, please feel free to comment. Thank you for listening.